And while they're making their way out, if you will go ahead and find in your Bible, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, that's where the kids were, Romans chapter 8. Kids, kids are in Matthew 14, 27 this week. You find your way to Romans chapter 8. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Romans chapter 8. I want to just kind of read some passages that tie a couple of texts together. We went through verse 15 a couple of weeks ago, and now uh, we're going to pick up with verse 16. But I want to really, to get it in context, we, we need to go back to verse 14 and uh, read through 17 for, for right now. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Father, we thank you for this faith that truly overcomes fear. Lord, I pray that through the word of God and the spirit of God, you'd speak to every heart in this place this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Something that I didn't point out in the Matthew chapter 14 text that the kids are looking at this week is this. Before Jesus walked on water, before this miracle of even Peter walking on the water with him and all that they experienced there took place, Jesus himself had suffered a great loss. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist is beheaded. This man who Jesus said is the greatest man born of woman that ever lived on the earth, of course, we know that that theologically is outside of Jesus Christ himself. But this great man of God was beheaded for his faith. His disciples had questions. They had come to, to bring Jesus the news. Certainly those who were following Christ thought, wow, if, if that could happen to John the Baptist, what could happen to us as followers of Christ? And so it's in that context that we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. Out of, out of a brokenness in his own heart, he talks about his own body being broken. And it's in that context that the disciples are in the storm when Jesus comes to them walking on water, the, the trials and the fears that we face day in and day out sometimes make us feel like our world is falling apart. So I titled this message this morning, Holding It Together When Your World Falls Apart. How do you hold it together when your world is falling apart? And maybe the holding it together, what we discover in this passage, is not so much that you're holding it together when your world is falling apart, but that God is doing a miraculous work of holding you together when your world is falling apart. Now, when I refer to your world falling apart, that could mean your personal world, your private world, your family, things that are coming against you, the tragedies that you're facing day in and day out, or it could refer to the fact that the world that we live in just seems to be coming unglued. The world that we live in economically or spiritually, politically, just seems to be falling apart around us. So what do we do as believers when our world is falling apart, no matter how personal or how public it may be. You know, last week I wasn't here. We 
we traveled up to North Carolina because of the uh, death of my wife's grandfather. And on the way up the road, as we were kind of expecting this, he was 90 years old. God had blessed him. He was a, a veteran of World War II and uh, was there at the, the, the Battle of the Bulge. He was there at Normandy. Um, he, you know, there were full military rights. They, they, he was 40 years, had received the highest um, rank that you could receive in the National Guard. And so there were a lot of things that we had to celebrate concerning his life. But on the way up the road, we were thinking about this new chapter in our lives and especially in, in the lives of those in my wife's family and uh, how many times we had driven up the road not able to celebrate the life yet because the tragedy was too fresh. When we get a phone call that says your brother has been in a serious car accident, get here as fast as you can. That was a tough trip to North Carolina. When we got a call... Kent and I were still here, but Tina and Karis had gone up because of her father having a procedure done in the hospital. They were going up just to surprise him, but when your wife calls and says, Daddy just died, get here as fast as you can. Mom's got cancer, get here as fast as you can. So many times, it just seems like your world is falling apart and about seven or eight years ago, and Tina and I were talking about this yesterday, seven or eight years ago, we were having this conversation. We had heard somebody make this statement, anybody God uses mightily has to go through a fire at some time. And we were like, wow, you know, we've just been really blessed. We haven't really gone through real fires. And then we looked back yesterday as we, we talk about that and some things that have taken place and uh, whether it was the loss of loved ones, whether it was um, medical procedures that had to be done, all these various trials and, and maybe some of the, the economic struggles that come along with that, we just said, wow, maybe God's getting ready to do something more special than we can ever imagine because he's walked with us through the fire. There were times through all of that that we felt like, wow, the world's just falling apart around us. Sometimes it's out there. It's, it's what's happening in the Middle East. It's what's happening in a political environment or, or the national economic situation and all of that. It's the world's falling apart. So what do we do when our world is falling apart? Because as I look out in this congregation this morning, I know this, and that's that what was very real to us as we have gone through difficulties and, and trials, I see so many of you that have experienced that. Some of you have, and I'm not even aware of it, but so many of you have gone through the fire. You're in the midst or about to go through or just come out of a fire. And so many of you, I know some things that you have gone through that those that are seated around you haven't gone through. Some of you are even sitting there and said, boy, the people around me have no idea the trials I've gone through when it seems like my world's falling apart. And you don't realize those people around you have gone through something very, very similar. See, we all have those moments where it seems like our world is falling apart. And that's where, as we said, Romans chapter 8, it's that sparkle on the, the jewel that is the book of Romans in that ring that is the Bible. It is a very special place to come to when we look at what God has to say. You think about this. What do we need? What do each of us need when our world's falling apart? We need security. We need hope. We need purpose. 
If you can promise me security, if you can promise me that there is hope, if you can give me a purpose, then then I can get through anything. And that's what Romans chapter 8 offers here in the middle of this beautiful chapter. How do we keep it together? First, we can have security. We experience security, the security of God's protection in the midst of all of these things. Look back at verse 14 with me again. I want you to see the security that we have when our world seems to be falling apart. God's really holding all things together. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul is saying, I want to remind you of something. You're God's child, and don't you forget it. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. See, verse 14 is reminding us it's not about a religious system. It's about a relationship. You're a child of God. In verse 15, he's saying, listen, the, the devil wants to keep you in religious bondage. The, the devil wants to keep you in fear by giving you a, a list of personal do's and don'ts that you can never live up to in and of yourself. But God comes along to set you free from that religious bondage that you might live by faith and not by fear. There are religious crowds today, religious leaders today, and even pastors today who would like to use fear to motivate people, emotionalism to manipulate people, to get them to do things that they want them to do. It's called religious legalism, adding a list of do's and don'ts to the Bible that God never included, having you live your life in such fear instead of out of such faith, worried about your, you know, whether or not you're, you're meeting God's standard or if God's about to beat you over the head with a celestial baseball bat of some kind, adding rules to the Scripture, you may say, but pastor, if you don't have that, then you're giving people a license to sin. We've already looked at this in Romans, but let's be reminded, it's not a license to sin when you experience God's grace. It's a brand new life. It's a life motivated by your relationship, that you are a child of God and not motivated by man-made rules. The second part of verse 15, he talks about how we entered into that relationship through adoption. He said, you received the spirit of adoption. You didn't receive the spirit of fear. Paul would tell Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. You didn't receive a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. You've been adopted as a child of God. You were born a sinner by nature and by choice, a child of the enemy of the present darkness, but we were conveyed from the kingdom of darkness, transformed into the kingdom of God's love, made a child of God when by faith we received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. That's not a license to sin. That is a new relationship. I'm not naturally born a child of God. As a matter of fact, it is a heretical doctrine for someone to stand up and say, all the children of the world, they're all God's children. They are only God's by ownership. They're not God's by relationship. The earth is the Lord's, the psalmist said, the fullness thereof. The the inhabitants of the earth, all that dwell therein, it all belongs to God. Everyone can refer to God as owner, but not everyone can refer to God as father. Only those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can have that relationship. 
And the Holy Spirit, look at verse 16, the Holy Spirit is there. If you have entered into that relationship, the Holy Spirit is living within us. Remember we saw in Romans 8 9 that if we do not have the Holy Spirit within us, we do not even belong to Christ. So when you get Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And what is he doing? He's bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, reminding you that you are one of God's kids. So you don't need a religious list of do's and don'ts to have this security of a relationship with Christ. But because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, he's guiding you. He's reminding you, hey, don't act that way. You're God's child. Anybody ever have your parents, especially those in my generation, maybe you have your parents, watch how you act. It's a reflection on your family. Remember whose you are. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's, he's providing that constant reminder that, hey, we belong to God. We don't act like that. We don't act like the world. You are a child of God. He's reminding us, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. And then he introduces or reintroduces this subject of adoption that he mentioned in, in verse 15. If, if children, in verse 17, he says, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs, with Christ. The concept of adoption, the, the doctrine of biblical adoption was based on the, the legal adoption of that day, which secured you as a child with the same rights that someone who was born naturally a child. With this legal and theological adoption having taken place in our life, when we received Jesus Christ by faith, we became children of God. John 1.12 does remind us we have to make a choice to get in on that adoption. As many as received him, John 1.12 says, to them he gave the right or the power, the authority to become the children of God, even those who believe on his name. When we, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, God the Father has then adopted us into his family, we become secure children of God through that adoption, and everything that's coming to Jesus is also coming to us. That's what security is all about. It's not a license to sin. It's a new freedom to live without fear that we are held by God's hands. Jesus said, all that the Father puts into my hand... I will not lose any of them. Discussing with a friend yesterday or day before by text the subject of whether or not you could lose your salvation, well, you know, if we could, we would. If we could, we would. We're not strong enough to hold on to it. Here's the thing about security. It's not whether or not you can hold on to God. It's whether or not God can hold on to you. And when we understand that it's not us holding on to God, but it's God holding on to us, we'll live with a security, not as a license to sin, but a new freedom to do what we can for the glory of God, to attempt things we could never do on our own. I read a story in Our Daily Bread, the devotional, about a, a botanist who was in Europe somewhere, and he saw a rare flower down in a ravine and was in a tight space, and he saw this kid that was playing not too far from him, and he said, he, he called the, the child, his little boy, he called him over there and he said, listen, I could put this rope, I could harness it around you, and I could lower you down in that ravine, 
and you could get that flower for me. He said, if I had you the tools, would you do that? Dig around it and pull it up and bring this flower back? And the boy said, sure, no problem. Wait a minute. And the boy ran, and he came back with another man. And he said, but this is my dad. He's holding the rope. (laughs) What was that kid saying? He said, I know my dad, I trust my dad, and if he's holding the rope, I'm coming back. Listen, when we understand God's holding on to us, there's no valley that we can't go into and bring back some wonderful treasure in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the valley. We can bring back some wonderful, awesome treasure because God was holding on to us through it all. We experienced security because of God's protection. The next thing I said we needed was we need hope. We can survive anything if we have hope, right? We endure suffering with God's persevering hope. We endure whatever suffering this world throws at us. Go back to verse 17 again. We may not like the way that it closes out. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. And then verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We experience suffering as part of that relationship. Some of you who were saying a moment ago, I'm all in, I need the security, and then we begin to talk about the suffering, you might say, well, no, no, I'm out of it now. Don't count me in. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. What, are you crazy, Paul? You understand how Christ is going to suffer? He's going to go to the cross? Paul knew something about the relationship with God through Christ, and that is, if you want the intimacy and the power that comes with it, you must also take up your cross and follow him and experience the suffering that this world throws at you. But we face it with hope. You know, it's an interesting thing. You often hear this at a funeral. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, when it talks about grieving those who we've lost, mourning the death of a loved one, it says as believers... For those who are in Christ, it says, we mourn, but not as those who have no hope. Might I also mention that the Bible teaches, as Christians, we also experience suffering in this life. It rains on the just and the unjust. We experience suffering in this life, but not as those who have no hope. Just as we do not grieve without hope, we do not suffer like those who have no hope. Why do we experience suffering then? Why does God allow his children, if God is all loving and God has all power, you're going to hear this from time to time from cynics and and skeptics and atheists. If God has all power, all authority, and he is all loving, then why does he let bad things happen to good people? Or why does he allow people to go through seasons of suffering, even his own children? Well, the scripture answers that for us. Now, when somebody's going through a hurtful time, they don't necessarily want the biblical answer. They don't want you to wax theological. That's why we've got to know the answers before we go through difficult times. And so he explains, first of all, we live in a sin-fallen world. Look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation, speaking of this, this created earth that we live on, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. And this is referring to that day that God makes all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. From the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned, and God cursed this world, he gave the first promise, Genesis 3.15, that there was going to be this wonderful hope of redemption that would even apply one day to a new earth. 
Because the creation itself, verse 21, groans. The creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. We live in a sin-fallen world. We're part of God's removing his hand of protection all the way back at the Garden of Eden and allowing a curse to come on this earth means that not only did Adam have to work by the sweat of the brow, not only did murder take place after that, not only did life become tough for Adam, but we live in a world today where there are wars, where people fly airplanes into buildings. We try to come up with all kinds of answers for why people are sick and why they deal with disease and and cancers of all kinds. But the bottom line is we live in a sin-fallen world, and that even affects your body and my body. Continue to read in this text. Verse 23, not only that, but we also who are the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. We are, if we have received Christ by faith, have been given a new nature. We have the Spirit of God now living inside of us, but he says we are still looking forward to the day that we get a new body. We still have to battle with the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The body that I live in, this earthly tabernacle, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, this body is fading away. It is vulnerable. And so not only do I live in a sin-fallen world, I still live in a body of flesh. Now what he speaks of concerning the redemption of the body has already happened to me and you spiritually speaking. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says that we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So in my heart, in my spirit, in my soul, I, I, I am secure because I'm already in heaven. But physically speaking, this body that I now live in, I have to live by something that we call faith that leads to hope. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ lives in me. But then he goes on to add to that, but the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to live out this life in a sin-fallen world, in a body made of flesh, a world and a body that's vulnerable to suffering, that's vulnerable to attack. That's why I need hope. Hope is a glimpse ahead. Hope is a, is a glimpse of what I'm going to be in Christ. Oh, spiritually speaking, it's already a done deal in eternity. Look, look at verse 30 in, in Romans chapter 8. and We'll come back to this next week. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. We're going to receive a glorified body in, in God's timetable. It's already a done deal. But right now, in our finite world, we experience suffering. And so we need a hope. We need a hope that perseveres in the midst of suffering. And so he begins to 
elaborate on that hope. Look at verse 24 and 25. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? When we get to heaven, by the way, we will not live by faith, and we will have no need for hope, because it will be experienced by sight. But for right now, we need to be able to get a glimpse of what God has in store for us. And verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with anticipation or with expectation. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That God is now giving you a, a glimpse of what is to come to get you through the difficult days in which you live today. And it brings a certain optimism to the Christian life, even in the midst of suffering. to Where others will look at us and say, man, it couldn't get worse. But we're saying, no, it's going to get a lot better. Things are going to get a lot better. That, that's the hope that perseveres. A man walked up just for fun to a little league ballpark one day, and there was a ball game going on. He walked up, and they didn't have a scoreboard, and he was kind of wanting to know the score. And some kid standing over there, just kind of goofing off, playing around by the fence, swinging a bat. And he said, son, who's winning? He goes, they are. And he smiled. Well, what's the score? Oh, they're beating us 18 to 0. And smiled. This man was like, man, I can be so excited about this. Son, they're beating you 18 to 0. He goes, oh, man, that's no big deal. We hadn't even got the bat yet. <laughs> Instead of... Instead of seeing it, wow, they've scored 18 in the first inning, he was saying, hey, we, our time's coming. And for the believer, our time is coming. God has something better in store for us. When this world is falling apart, I need that hope. I need the security. But also, I need to understand that there's a purpose for it all. See, if, I'm gonna, if my world's falling apart, I want to say, God, I've got to know that you're holding on to me when I can't hold on to you. And I'm going to say, God, I need some hope. I've got to know there's going to be a better day. I've got to know things are going to get better. But I also want to know, and, and it, by the way, parents, it's okay when your kids come and, and, and you've got to explain they've got to do something very difficult. They've got to go through a difficult situation, difficult time, a difficult discipline. And, and they come up to you and say, why? It's, it's okay to give reasons. It's okay to explain the purpose of it. Because that's what God is saying here. He says, listen, I've got a purpose for all of this. It doesn't mean we'll always fully understand it, but we embrace the sovereignty of God's purpose. What is sovereignty? See, I told you in Romans we would keep hitting on all these theological terms, but we need to understand what they mean. Sovereignty simply means that God is in control. When our world's falling apart, when our world's out of control, God's still in control. And so we need to embrace the sovereignty of of God's pur purpose in all of this. Look at verse 26. This affects our prayer life. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, just like this earth is groaning for that, that new heaven and new earth. Sometimes in our brokenness, in our suffering, we're crying out, Lord, my world's falling apart. I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. All I know is I'm, I'm just crying out to you. But the Holy Spirit begins to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ 
is our great intercessor. He is the one mediator between God and man. Verse 27, now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God comes in in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of those moments that our world is falling apart. He says, I've got this. Not only do I have this, I have you, and I'm going to walk you through this difficult moment. Listen, just because we live in a sin-fallen world and we have a body that is made of flesh and blood doesn't mean that God has acquiesced control of the world. When he allows consequences of of living in a sin-fallen world, when he allows consequences of sinful choices that you and I have made, that does not mean he has acquiesced control. He still uses all of that for our good and for his glory. That's the context of Romans 8.28. Many of you have memorized Romans 8.28, and we like to quote Romans 8.28. Man, I love God. He's got everything under control. We don't always like to apply it into those moments when our world is falling apart. And that's exact context we find it in here. He says, and we know in the midst of all this suffering that we might have to endure, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. I need to embrace the sovereign purposes of God in those moments that it seems like my world is falling apart. God is in control. What is his purpose then? Pastor, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand why I'm in this dark hour. I don't understand why my world's falling apart. I don't know why I have to go through this or why my spouse treats me this way or why my kids have to hear this or why we have to... I don't understand why I'm here, why we're going through... What is God's purpose? Verse 29 gives us God's purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's God's purpose in allowing it? Making you more like Jesus. See, we can get into a, a big theological conversation right here on predestination. There's that word, predestined, whom he foreknew. The foreknowledge of God, he predestined. And and you know what? The the problem is most people use that word to talk about salvation, but very few use it to talk about Christian growth. And they'll say, well, you know, God handpicked some for heaven, and he predestined them, and I guess the others, he just said they can all go to hell. And and so predestination are those he handpicked for heaven. And, And they only apply it to salvation. The problem with that is most of the time we see the Bible talking about election and predestination, it has to do with how we act after we save, not how we got saved. He predestined us to become formed to his image. And guess what? We have to cooperate with that process. We have to make choices every day. Am I going to yield to the Spirit's guidance in my life? And so to me, and I usually explain this, and, and, and I realize in, in many circles I would come across as, as very reformed and, and somewhat Calvinistic. If you don't know what those words mean, ask Pastor Ben after church. But... It, when I come to the Scriptures, I realize I have a choice to make every day whether or not I'm going to cooperate with what God's doing. And, and to me, God no more handpicked somebody for heaven against their choice than He handpicked who would live holy and handpicked who would fall into sin after they got saved because He predestined me to become conformed to the image of His Son. And I have a choice to make every day if I'm going to cooperate with that process. And that process may include suffering. It may include my world falling apart so he can make me more like Jesus in the midst of it. 
me taking up my cross every day and following with Him. I don't know what cross He's asked you to carry today. I know my crosses. Some of you know some of my crosses. Nobody here would know all of the crosses I have to carry, and there's no way I could know all the crosses you have to carry or the cross of those around you. But I know God wants to use it to make you more like Jesus. You are in Him. He is in you. You're already seated with Him in the heavenly places. But the life you now live in this body, you're to live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. And you will never have to experience what He did on the cross when He took your sin and my sin and died for all of us. Would you bow your heads with me? I wonder if there's someone sitting here this morning saying, Pastor, the Spirit of God was taking the Word of God and speaking to my heart today because my world's falling apart. Maybe you're talking about the, the, the world in a broader sense, this, this world around us. It just it breaks your heart. Maybe it's the political environment. Maybe it's the economic situation in the world today, and you're saying, this world's falling apart, and you just needed to be reminded God's holding you all together. But perhaps you would say it in a very personal way. Pastor, you, you may not know what I'm going through, but it feels like my world's falling apart. And I need you to pray for me that I'll understand God's holding me all together. If that's where you're at today, with no one looking around, would you just raise a hand and say, pray for me? Pray for me. It feels like my world's falling. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you most of all for Jesus who gave his life that we might experience a new life, an abundant life in him. Lord, I pray now that you'll give us the eyes to live by hope. Lord, if there's someone here that, that doesn't have security, doesn't have hope, that doesn't have purpose because they've never given their heart and their life to you, I pray that today, I pray that today that they would place their life in your hands. Lord, if they already know you, and even in a knowledge of you, Lord, they have entered into a season of suffering in this life, I pray that you would remind them that they've been adopted, that their Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, is not letting go. Daddy's holding the rope and is going to pull them safely into His arms. May we all live by faith and the one who loved us gave himself for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.